Hello, and welcome to the 30-Minute CMO. I'm Gorsha Huchua, and I am joined by my co-host, Alex McNamara. The National Hockey League is a multi-billion dollar a year juggernaut, with millions of fans across the globe following each of its 31 teams. Each season culminates with the top teams competing for the opportunity to win the Stanley Cup, the oldest trophy in professional sports, and by a large consensus, the hardest one to win. Though the season usually runs from early October through the beginning of summer, behind the scenes, a 365-day year marketing operation ensures ongoing fan engagement across every type of channel available. Marketing an NHL franchise, and indeed any professional sports team, is a highly sophisticated process that is tasked with elevating the team's profile in its home market to generate robust season and single game ticket sales, as well as supporting merchandise drops, arena marketing, and community programs aimed at building support among the next generation of fans. We really wanted to dig deeper into the world of pro sports marketing, and we went right to the top, to the 2020 Stanley Cup champions, Tampa Bay Lightning. Joining us on the show today is Patrick Abst, Director of Consumer Marketing and Digital for the Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll talk to Pat about what happens behind the scenes of a professional hockey organization, and we'll find out how he and his team pivoted when the NHL shut down midway through its season before restarting three months later to finish play in the bubble. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we did. First of all, congratulations on becoming this season's Stanley Cup champions. Even though fans often think of the players and the coaches as the winners of a championship, it is truly an organizational win. Can you share with us how your office colleagues felt when you guys won the cup and give us a sense of the satisfaction this brings to the folks in the organization who aren't on the ice? Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. It was definitely really exciting uh, to win the cup. Uh, while, you know, it was, there's parts of us, I think I, I speak for other staff as well. That was maybe a little bittersweet because we couldn't be there in like in physical manner um, like we normally would be. Uh, it was extremely exciting still to win. I'm fairly lucky, you know, just to put it in a little bit of perspective. Um, I've worked in sports for a little over a decade now. Um, and I, I have, I have a championship for a team I've worked for in that time. There's executives on our team, you know, people I respect, uh, deeply in our organization that worked in sports for 30, 40 years, and this was their first championship. Wow. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of really hard work, uh, that goes into it. This year was, uh, more so than even in, in others, cause we couldn't be there physically. Um, and that's, you know, our staff covering the team, uh, all the personnel that would normally be there. Um, but it was, it was really, really exciting um, to win. We, we were actually lucky enough to do some uh, watch parties within our building, uh, you know, socially distance, uh, limited capacity, about, about a thousand people total mm -hmm. uh, throughout the building uh, and staff were able to have tickets to that too. So in a way we were able to be physically close to each other um, the night we won because um, we had a watch party in the building then and most of the staff was there for it. So uh, we didn't get that early on in the playoff run. We started doing that kind of during the final. So it was really, it was really cool to kind of have that be part of the experience. That's, that's, that's awesome. And just to confirm, will the, will the staff also get the rings? Yeah, every every staff member uh, will be getting a ring. Every everyone, uh, from my understanding, everyone that was just employed uh, as of that date. So you could have started a month beforehand, although we haven't had that many of those people. But you you would definitely be getting a ring too. So really really exciting. Uh, I know 
some, some there's not very many of them, um, but there there's a few people that that were with the organization back in 04 um, when they won. And the fact that they, they get two now and every now and then before um, this win, they would occasionally be wearing it in special occasions. So it's kind of cool that, you know, all of us participate in that as well moving forward. That's so cool. That's amazing. I, I didn't know that was, I didn't really genuinely did not know that was the thing. I thought Gorsha was joking there. That is brilliant. I love that you guys celebrate and like make it a wider organizational thing. Yeah, uh, for sure. They, I will say, I don't think our rings are going to be quite to the style of the players. I, I don't think we're going to be getting, uh, you know, uh, all the bling that they usually get. They'll probably be a little bit downgraded version, but I'm happy to get it no matter what. Um, and I know everyone on the staff is. So, so, um, so taking a like a thirty thousand uh, foot view, what does marketing look like um, in the twenty first century for a professional sports team? Like, can you walk us through sort of the broader marketing team, uh, like what they support, how how it's enabled, um, and how it con- contributes to the overall success of the team? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll talk a little bit first about ours and our team, um, and then I yeah. think there's maybe some differences uh, league to league, sport to sport. Um, whatnot. So our team um, is, you know, in comparison to some other teams uh, within the NHL, I think we're probably about middle of the pack in terms of staff size and probably overall responsibilities. Uh, We oversee any of our direct marketing uh, for ticket sales. Um, We primarily focus on single game tickets. That's with our team. Um, You know, the rest of, um, I mean, we've actually been in a really good spot with season tickets and whatnot uh, for the last five, six years, we actually have a, uh, we call our lightning priority access club that fans can join. And we promote that as well, but it's for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, people, you know, have to kind of wait to get, to get in. We are on that, uh, I guess, robust of a streak of selling games and and season tickets. Um, But we also do a ton of um, like content um, for, for lack of a better word. Um, So social media, uh, our website, we oversee mobile um, apps, uh, you know, uh, email marketing. We have our own creative design team on staff. Uh, our content team, you know, marketing team also includes our in-bowl game presentation, any production, video production we have outside of that. Uh, and actually pre- pretty recently, um, just due to some restructuring internally, you know, PR now falls under our group um, as well. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, uh, with, without a doubt, uh, a lot of, a lot of people behind the scenes. Um, and that's kind of our group. Um, we also oversee retail marketing that's unique to our team. Um, so other teams may have it that way. Uh, but we, we also oversee Tampa Bay sports, uh, which we have two brick and mortar stores as well as an online entity, tampabaysports.com. Uh, so those are our, our main focus points. Uh, so retail, as you can imagine right now during the middle of a pandemic, uh, is huge for us. It's one of our only revenue drivers right now. Um, we actually have a separate team uh, within our organization that oversees uh, affiliate marketing, so concerts and events um, primarily. So that's kind of unique to us um, and, and kind of our structure. I will say um, NHL is an extremely gate-driven league. Um, so for us, ticket sales is you know, in normal circumstances are our, our number one focus point. Um, in other leagues, that's not necessarily the case. Like the NFL is a great example where the NFL gate, um, while it's important, I'm not saying that, like it, it's not the number one driver of revenues for them. Uh, their TV deals, retail, things like that are actually, you know, above um, 
NHL, we're very, very gate driven. Uh, and as a result of that, that's usually our primary focus. Right now, we've had to shift things uh, during the pandemic uh, to be more retail focused. We've been ideating and coming up with a lot more stuff than we normally would. And revenue generating ideas are, are key for that. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of the, of the uh, I, I guess, breakdown I, I would have. Happy to get into any more specifics though. So, um, I mean, fans are obviously everything to, to an organization and uh, the source of revenue in whichever form it comes in. Uh, how does a Stanley Cup win boost the fan base? Uh, do you see a big increase in fans after a win like this? Uh, you have a historical precedent at 04 as well to kind of lean on. Uh, what are your expectations there? Yeah, it's funny. We, we've joked internally uh, because we won the Cup in 04 and then we immediately went into a lost season. Uh, for uh, and then this year we won in the middle of a pandemic, but even with those circumstances, it's, it's huge. Honestly, when winning a cup is massive. Um, so I think the cup in 04 versus this year is a little different. Um, 04 winning the cup for this organization was huge because I think it put some validity to having, you know, a non-traditional sport in, in our non-traditional market, have the sport of hockey, you know, hockey in Florida, seeing that succeed with a cup win was big. Um, we were one of the one of the first, not the first, uh, non-traditional kind of markets to to win the cup. So we solidified a fan base with that win. Uh, we we are now um, 25 plus years as an organization, seeing second generation fans and things you know things of that nature. So I think uh, this year uh, winning has been huge for us. I mean, let's let's be honest, just with current uh, pandemic situations, our retail sales and the retail sales of any cup champion or any champion in any sport go through the roof after a win. Uh, you see playoff sales uh, go up. Um, but then when you win, I mean, we're talking a, a six month window where we're we're selling, you know, hundreds of thousands, uh, millions of dollars in, re in, in merchandise which is huge for us, especially now when we don't have that ticket uh, gate that I talked about. Um, so that's huge with regards to ticket sales. And, you know, it's a little, it's going to be a little difficult to say yet. Um, obviously we, we have seen, I, I talked about our priority access club. We've seen numbers increase pretty dramatically um, in that in the last couple months, even with the fact that there's still uncertainty about next season. We don't have an exact date of when the season will start, how many games we'll have, whether we'll have fans in the building um, in any capacity, whether reduced or, or full. Um, and so that, that's been huge. Uh, that, that list of people is big for us because we know the economy is really hard right now for a lot of people. So there's current season ticket members of ours that, you know, may not be able to renew um, because of the you know, current circumstances they're in. Uh, we're doing the right thing as an organization. We're refunding money if, if people request it, uh, things of that nature. But we also need a pipeline of people to, to backfill those seats in the event that we are playing again. Um, so none of those things can be discounted. Um, you know, it's also big for us. Uh, TV uh, deal is huge. We're in the last uh, couple of years of our TV rights deal. So the fact uh, we, we were setting record numbers on our um, re, uh, RSNs, Regional Sports Network, uh, the last couple of years. And so that kind of going forward and hopefully bringing more fans next year watching us on TV can only help um, in those negotiations and, and and in those conversations in the, in the next year, year and a half, uh, when we look to renew. Um, so there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, it's a little early to, to see. I will say uh, one thing to put in a little bit of context. I mean, we saw a massive jump in, and this has been true for us. We've, 
been lucky to go deep in the playoffs quite a few times in recent years, just never all, all the way to winning. Um, and we saw pretty massive jumps uh, in our social media followings um, and a lot of our video on demand uh, views on our website uh, with highlights within our app. Um, we, we actually jumped uh, about 15, 20% over the course of the entire playoffs over our previous follower count. And, and we were um, pretty much middle of the pack in terms of NHL followings at the time. So really, really exciting to see that. So, Yeah, that kind of segues pretty nicely into, into my question is sort of how do you drive that, um, that balance between new fan acquisition and driving sort of fan retention and you know, existing fan loyalty with the, with the programs that you're working with? Yeah, actually really, really good question. Cause we, we talk about it internally all the time. Uh, we talk about who we are and by who we are, I mean like our current ticket buyers and our current season ticket members versus who we want to be all the time. Um, so, I mean, when it comes right down to it, um, you know, our current ticket buyers, our season ticket members, you know, we, we call a spade a spade. I mean, not, nothing against them. We're really happy to have these fans, but, you know, they're typically older white males. I'm just calling them a spade a spade <laughs> uh, in terms of our ticket buyers. Uh, but we always want to be younger. Uh, we always want to be um, trying to attract and bring those new fans, that next generation of fan. Um, so we've done a lot, um, frankly, a lot of things that I can't take credit for in any way, or even our marketing department, we do a ton with community hockey. Uh, we have a really robust community hockey team, um, within our organization that go out and they put us, we don't, we don't have lots of sheets of ice throughout the state of Florida, um, in comparison to other markets. So we put a stick and ball, um, for like more ball hockey mm-hmm. in the hands of kids all over. I mean, literally every single day of the week throughout the entire school year, we are in an elementary school, it's sometimes two a day, handing out sticks and balls to PE classes. Um, so that that's a great way that we're, we're tying in. In the last couple of years, we, we've increased a lot of our efforts in gaming and esports. Um, and so it's funny, we, we say esports and we kind of said that a lot to begin. I would argue it's more gaming now because we're really trying to be more content focused. We're not trying to make uh, you know, our current fans follow us on gaming. We're trying to really reach people um, that have gaming or esports as a high interest of theirs and make them a fan of the Lightning, uh, mm-hmm. not the other way around. Uh, so we've really brought in some great partners and that side of things. Uh, just so happens we actually have some people in our backyard that, that put on one of the biggest uh, charity gaming conventions in the, in the entire world. Um, and they're, they're hockey fans. So they, they've been helping us out with some strategy and a lot of efforts. Um, so it's been, uh, th- those are a couple, just like slight examples of ways we try to skew younger. I think, you know, a couple years ago, we launched a new third jersey um, that, you know, I think we, we hear you either hate it or you love it. Um, but our, our express purpose of designing it behind the scenes was really to try to reach like a younger market of fan. Um, you know, our, our home and away, they're kind of a classic clean look, but they're, they're, they're pretty, you know, simple. Um, you know, we worked with Adidas heavily, um, used uh, their prime knit look as kind of a, a base to try to build these new like all black uh, jerseys um, uh, with, with gray gradient, different, definitely very different. We had a whole uh, kind of lot, ancillary line. Yeah, there, there they are. Um, whole ancillary line uh, with shoes, um, Adidas merchandise. We worked with local influencers. So we've done a lot on that side of things, um, you know, to try to, to skew younger. And it is it is paying dividends. Um, you know, and another way too is, and we've, we've seen dividends here, is we've 
put a lot of effort when we're in normal ticketing situations into our student rush program. Mm -hmm. uh, so not, not a novel concept. Uh, I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. I think we stole the idea from the Pittsburgh Penguins like seven years ago. Um, but we've developed it really robustly in our market um, where, you know, it's, it's $20 uh, best available seat uh, tickets, which honestly in the last couple of years has pretty much moved to standing room only tickets because we just don't have seats available um, for students. But it's become a program where we've actually seen these kids graduate and move up the funnel, become a 10-pack buyer, and become a half-season. We actually have a few that, well, back seven, eight years ago when we first started the program are, are now full-season STMs. So it's, uh, it's really exciting to see some of that growth and some of those efforts pay off long-term. Going back just a couple of points, I've, there are a few that you, you, you touched on that I want to dig into. How important yeah. is it to be on the cover of the um, NHL uh, game that comes out every year? So, um, I don't know. Like, I, I, like, I personally would like love it if there was like a lightning player, I think it'd be huge within our market, you know, and I, we have a great relationship with EA and, and but the player base for NHL is, is smaller than a lot of other sports games. So we focus on it. Like we, you know, we, last year we had uh, one of our, our guys, uh, Kutrov make the team of the year, which is, you know, for Madden 99 club or, you know, FIFA, same thing. Like, you know, they, they he got like golden cleats and it was like, it was like top ranking. Uh, there's some really cool content we've done around it. We've had fun with players playing each other, um, celebrities. We've had really good success doing a, a big tournament with NHL, but we also recognize, and we, we were heavy in NHL, like the game when we first started getting yeah. gaming and whatnot. We realized pretty quickly though, that the player base is only so big. And frankly, the people that play NHL are already for the most part NHL fans. So it wasn't really accomplished yeah. the goal that we had. Um, so that's why we started to diversify and play a lot of other games. We still will have, have that on our channels and whatnot. It's not like we go away from it. Um, but yeah, I think it's probably bigger for the player, if I'm being honest, than the, than the organization. Um, yeah. I think it's pretty pretty cool for a player, I think, to be on it. Um, that's You see that from, from the different guys that, that have been on it over the years. I know, I think Austin Matthews last year, OV's on it this year, um, and others. Um, so I know Stamkos was on it, although it's been, it's been a while. Um, but yeah, so I, I would say it's probably bigger for the guy than in, in any one team. And then on jerseys, so like Gorsha and I talked about this before from our UK roots. Um, you know, the, the the Premier League teams, I mean, most of the European League teams, they get a new jersey every year, which yeah. means that all the fans will be out there buying new jerseys. And recently what I've noticed on the Arsenal Instagram feed is they're bringing out more and more jerseys and more and more kits. There's like the European like warm-up kit. You've got the European travel kit. You've got the premier league warm-up kit you got the fa cup warm-up kit it's like there are all of these different things that they're now trying to sell to you know fans and that is a huge that must be a huge revenue stream for them um you mentioned you have your your two home and away kits and now you've got a third kit is that something that you've seen from other leagues and other countries um that you're kind of incorporating into um into your sort of yeah structure no. Yeah, great question. I mean, let, let's, I'm going to be honest, like the only reason to do anything out of your home and away, your traditional home and away is to, to sell jerseys. It's it's a revenue play. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. You can get great stories and it, they can be really cool. And it, it's something that attracts younger fans and you might be dividends down the road, but really when it comes down to it, it it's, it's a revenue generating play. And, you know, um, 
I don't think the NHL will ever go as crazy as, and not crazy is the wrong word, or maybe as robust in the lines of uh, kits or jerseys they have as, you know, um, you know, Europe, European clubs or uh, frankly, the NBA, the NBA nowadays, like I, I yeah. feel like I keep up like there's, you know, I know there's city edition jerseys, and but they, they change every single year. Um, it, it's pretty wild. I mean, we actually had a really big launch earlier this week across the NHL uh, reverse retro. Um, and so it's actually going to be a fourth jersey that we have um, in our in our uh, arsenal to wear. Um, although, and somewhat similar to, to some of the, the concepts you just brought up or some of the teams uh, or similar to the NBA, this is a one and done type thing. Our, our, our alternate jerseys, we have to have for at least three seasons uh, before we can ever decide to change it or to substitute it in. This reverse retro is really a, a one-year jersey. Um, and it's it's something that I think Adidas, uh, as our, our jersey provider for the entire league, wants to incorporate and maybe do a different type of uh, launch or design, uh, you know, maybe every couple of years where they throw something like this in. Uh, really really cool program and it was really well done across across uh the board from adidas and, and all the 31 clubs uh, uh but yeah it's it's definitely it's something that i get really excited about but the nhl specifically it's a lot more than just like throwing it on there's the pants there's gloves there's a lot of equipment needs that cost a lot more money than you know uh basketball or you know football whatnot so it's definitely that's definitely some of the i think the struggle for um nhl maybe nfl teams probably similar um in terms of having too many different uniform sets um for us but it's definitely a huge revenue driver without a doubt yeah, yeah, I know. I I know that the NHL also has been really pushing the Winter Classic, uh, the Stadium Series, and with those, they have their own jerseys, their own kits that the teams are, you know, the teams that participate can then um, create and sell and market. You know, so um, those are all probably pretty coveted, uh, pretty coveted opportunities. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we're we're just. Uh... It's difficult. We're in Florida. We get it. But uh, hey, they just did a stadium series in Texas last year. So we're really hoping that we can get one of those opportunities too. that 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 stadium series, um, the Winter Classic, Heritage Classic, all the outdoor games that the NHL has put on uh, for really a decade plus now. um, Those are those are huge for teams, uh, not just in terms of you know, the participation, the national spotlight those games bring. Uh, but the fact that, yeah, you talked about it, like a lot, a lot of merch uh, that goes into it. Uh, they're, they're pretty impactful with the clubs that get to participate. And so we're, we're really hoping that we can be one of those. Cause yeah, there's been a lot of really, there's been some misses on the, on the jerseys that I think have come out as, as part of those designs, but there's been a lot of hits too. Um, and yeah, so some teams out there, uh, I know they actually, unfortunately, had to cancel all of the outdoor games for the upcoming year, right. all except I think one as of right now. Um, but, you know, theoretically, had they been played, there's some teams that would have actually had, yeah, five jerseys they would have been able to wear if they were participating in, in, in one of those outdoor games. Talking about geography for a second, I mean, you know, being um, associated with a specific area in, you know, in the country, that naturally drives your fan base from, you know, or, you know, like you're saying, ticket sales being very important. How, um, but is it the be all and end all of your sort of fan recruitment? You know, do you just focus locally or do you focus on sort of bringing in new fans from around the country? Um, and kind of like, how do you stop them becoming fans of other teams as they kind of go into, into the, into the sport? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for us, I, I think, 
it's changed over the course of our organization's history. Uh, focusing local has always been and will be the most important thing. But, you know, sports, uh, I guess the evolution of technology, you know, social media, frankly, broadcasts you can get anywhere in the world at this point with, you know, NHL.TV, at least in our league. Um, we, we do focus, you know, pretty much around the world. Um, so we, we, for quite a few years now, have had our, our main marketing tag is Be the Thunder. Um, it, it fits very well with, you know, for a fan base, um, you know, to, to be that noise, um, that excitement, um, kind of that, that tr you know, tribal type quality we want from our fans. Um, you know, they're the lightning on the ice, Be the Thunder off of it for our fans. Uh, we just uh, about five years ago, we launched a program called Distant Thunder. Um, and it's because we were seeing a lot of people like on forums, um, social media, whatnot from across the world. They were like, hey, I'm a fan in New Zealand. I'm a fan in Ireland. I'm a fan in Bali um, and, and saying these things. And so we, we launched this program and, you know, I give Dun & Co, um, our, our agency of record, a lot of credit for kind of coming up with the initial concept. Um, and they they brought us um, a fully baked out video like that they had on their own dime our agency had gone and found the, the first fan we we did um his name was Rafael and he, he was from brazil um and they went down to brazil filmed this entire video with him about his fandom like what made him become a fan funny enough going back to what we were talking about it was the 04 cup win he became a fan because of that cup win and, and the team that we had then, some of the, the big players, Vincent LeCavier, Marty St. Louis and whatnot that were on that team. Um, and it, that was the launch of that program. We've since done uh, a focused uh, spot on a different fan from different areas of the world every single year um, since. I mean, we've done Ireland. Uh, we had someone from New Zealand. Uh, I'm, of course, I'm gonna blank on, on some of the others right now. Um, but it, it's been really awesome. And then it kind of came full circle because this year uh, we, we've always put this extra focus on them. It became something that we could sell in sponsorships, visit Tampa Bay, um, you know, our, our big, you know, tourism bureau kind of down here was like all of a sudden like, oh, we want to be on that because you're kind of showcasing uh, people of reasons that they would want to come to Tampa. And it became this thing now where they sponsored the trip, uh, gave uh, these fans that we, because we'd bring them to a game too, these Distant Thunder fans that right. we would highlight. Uh, you know, Raphael had never been to uh, a game in, in Tampa. Uh, so we brought him, uh, showed, showed that experience. It just so happened that that game he came to, we had him right on the glass. And uh, one of our players, Alex Klorn, scored a game-winning goal in overtime and had no clue, of course, that, that he was there, what was going on. But they, he, like, did his celebration literally right in front of him. And the whole team came out and, like, like you know, celebrated, like, literally right in front of Raphael. So it was, it was pretty awesome to see. Um, but this year – we played games up up in Canada. Um, and so we were, you know, racking our brains and like, what should our tag be? How should we reach our fans? And we finally just were like, it's, it's obvious. Like we've always had this distant thunder campaign. We're be the thunder. So let's just be the distant thunder because everyone's the distant thunder right now. No, there's going to be no fans in the building. There's that's perfect. And so, yeah. And so that was our, our campaign uh, that we came up with uh, for this postseason, And, uh, we put a lot of efforts into it, uh, had fans come in, sign glass, took the glass up to the hub, had actually the NHL worked with us, installed it um, in the rink system in Toronto during games, uh, you know, games being played with this entire pane of glass filled out with our fans' signatures and like go bolts and we're rooting for you, that kind of stuff. So they were there in a way in the rink with them. So 
yeah, it, it became it's something that, you know, we never expected to be in the situation that we're in, but because we took some of these efforts to like focus on fans, not just here in the Tampa region, it, it actually has paid dividends in multiple ways. So. Um, I want to expand a little bit on the players themselves because they're obviously the stars. They are, they are who people come and see. And um, I'm, I'm recalling a conversation I had with your neighbors from across the state, who uh, the, the Panthers, who leveraged, I think they're fairly sizable at the time, Scandinavian contingent to really market the team to Scandinavian countries and actually attract tourists for the Miami area. What is the importance of, uh, I guess, two questions. What is the importance of the fans, uh, of the players in your marketing efforts? I know they they get used a lot in publicity, but I'd like to hear from you. And the second question is, you know, not, ev- not every great player is great at marketing themselves. You know, you see yeah. some who are just phenomenal and they don't need any, maybe they need some reining in even. Uh, but then there are others who are publicity shy. So how do you kind of work with these assets and, um, and deploy them for your needs? Yeah, so players are extremely important. Um, you know, let, first and foremost, how, how they perform on the ice uh, is, is probably the most important. And we're really lucky to have, I think, some of the best players in the league, at least in our league, uh, that happen to be on our team. That's huge for us in our marketing efforts. Uh, our, our hockey operations staff has done a really good job of allowing us to have access uh, for any of our marketing collateral needs that we that we would ever want. I mean, we shoot every guy on the team um, full jersey. Well, not always full jersey. It depends on what our marketing look for that year is going to be. And if we want it to be more of a jersey focus, maybe more of a, a casual look. But um, in terms of, you know, using players and their likenesses, it's easy for us because we have legit like by nhl standards at least like you know three or four superstars on our team yeah Uh, and that and that's huge um now in terms of the players themselves our league has a little bit of a problem with you know the players and being able to promote themselves it's pretty ingrained and and i know gosh you probably know this because you're 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 a hockey fan like you know it players are ingrained in hockey from early age that it is not an eye type of mentality it is team first always that's why like it's not a joke go out i encourage anyone listening go out and watch hockey player interviews during the middle of the game after the game they all sound identical there is no difference in them like the fact that media ever wants to talk to players still is like blowing mind it's like i I gotta dump the puck in uh yeah playing his team just gotta keep the team game going it's just like they're all they're all identical um, and you know, some players though, behind the scenes do a little bit better job in marketing themselves. I think, um, you know, there, there's a guy on our team, Alex Klorn, I, I mentioned him earlier. He, he has done a lot better job in recent months in this last year, especially since, you know, the pandemic hit and kind of, I think, recognizing opportunity for himself and marketing himself more. He actually, uh, came to us to do, uh, this, this idea. We, we helped him brand it as doc talk, but he wanted to do a show where he's on his jet ski here in Florida. Uh, he lives on the water and he's going around and interviewing like other players. Uh, it started with just guys on our team. It, it soon devolved, evolved into, um, guys on other teams in the market, Kevin Kiermeyer, a big race player, um, Cameron Bright, a tight end for the, the Bucks. Um, and then it actually went all the way to the point where Keenan Thompson, uh, from like SNL and whatnot, he, he has a house down here and he, he was willing to participate. And so he, he got on it like, and that was like one of the first times I felt like one of our 
players, you know, was really trying to brand himself and do something outside of that mold. It's worked great for him. Like he had Doc Talk t-shirts. They're selling the gangbusters. He's now since uh, winning the cup had a lot more merch lines about it. Has talked about kind of continuing it, it that series in another way. Um, it's really exciting to see, but it's, it's difficult for us to break that mold. I think with our, our team, um, other teams have had better success. It's all about the personalities on it. Um, you know, we have, we even have guys on our team now, and this is probably not the case in almost any other sport that, that are, don't even have social media accounts. Uh, and, and we are trying to tell them the, the benefits that, that could have for their own personal brand post hockey and, you know, trying to teach them like, Hey, there, you guys should be trying to brand yourselves for when your playing career is over. Like, Hey, don't want that to be for a long time, but it, it's going to happen someday. Um, and so we, we made some inroads there, but it, it's difficult. I think I'm, I'd be lying to you if I wasn't jealous when I look at, um, you know, certain NBA teams and, you know, their players involvement on social way they're acting um, even, you know, right or wrong. Sometimes it's in a bad way, but even in the NFL, like a lot of the players just being more active and, and, and you know, trying to make brands for themselves. At the same time, I, I can't, I can't complain about the fact that, you know, we don't deal with a lot of, um, I guess, I know for lack of a better word, divas or whatnot in the NHL, it just doesn't happen. So, so we're lucky in that regard. It's kind of that double-edged sword. Um, sometimes it, it's like pulling teeth a little bit to get them to do something that could be really helpful for not just our, ourselves as an organization, but their own brand. Um, but we also don't have a lot of the headaches either. So. Yeah, you're, it's, it's, it's funny how, you, how you, you hit the nail on the head with players who barely have social media accounts. You see some of the superstars in, around the league and they'll have four posts on Instagram uh, yeah. over the course of the last three years and like 45,000 followers. Yeah. <laughs> so like, the, you know, people want to hear from them, but they're, yeah, you, you're, you're right. They've been trained to, from an early age, to take a team first mentality. And I think, uh, you know, ultimately like that rubs off on you long-term. Yeah. hundred percent. What, um, what, I have a question around sort of like fan recruitment and sort of player sort of acquisitions like in um in the premier league i know i use this as a reference but sometimes teams will look to buy players um, from specific countries in order to basically get their you know their national sort of contingent of fans to become fans of that team so i think um tottenham um have the south korea uh captain as you know one of their best wingers and now i think half of half of South Korea is a Tottenham fan now. Have you, um, have you seen that in, in the NHL? And has that kind of like worked with, with, um, with any of the teams that you, you know of? So I don't, I think we've seen the benefits of what you just described. I don't think there's any over efforts and I, I could yeah. be wrong. And, and maybe, you know, some hockey op operations personnel across the league would say differently. Um, but I, I think they focus first and foremost on, you know, the fit for the team, at least, you know, our organization and how it best, best serves what they're trying to do on the ice. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have Victor Hedman, you know, uh, I'd argue the best defenseman in the league. It's not much of an argument. He's been nominated for the, the top defenseman trophy, the Norris for, uh, you know, th I believe three or four seasons in a row now is one at once. Um, he was our, the Conn Smythe winner. So the MVP of the playoffs this last year when we won the cup, he's, um, from Sweden. And we have a huge Swedish fan base, I think, because of that. Um, 
prior to him going to our uh, cross state rivals, the Panthers, you know, we had Anton Strahlman as well. Um, also from Sweden, not as big of a star, but was super crucial to our team when he was here. Uh, and oftentimes Hedman and Strahlman were paired together on, on the same defensive pairing. Um, so yeah, we, we, we have a lot of folks there. I mean, we have Kucherov and Vasilevsky, uh, two of the best players of the respective positions in the entire league by far. And they're, they're Russian. Um, Andre Pallad, a huge Kogtar team from the Czech Republic. So we, we do have a lot of different uh, countries represented, uh, Slovakia, um, obviously Canada, U.S., uh, the obvious ones. But um, yeah, and there, there's teams out there too where I think, you know, there, there's a pretty select small amount of countries, at least within the sport of hockey, um, that, you know, the, the top talent usually comes from. But then occasionally you'll, you'll get, um, you know, a, a country that plays the sport and whatnot, like Germany, but you don't get a ton of top talents. But you might get someone uh, on a team that, you know, one of the better players. And, and you see, like, usually – a large contingent of that country's fans a root for them. So we definitely see the benefits of it. I don't think it's uh, uh, gone to the, gotten to the point where it actually gets into hockey ops decisions on like who they try to acquire though. Um, I know we keep circling like on this uh, topic of fans, but it's, it's, I guess at the nexus of every conversation, um, usually a team uh, shares a city uh, and a fan base with other teams. Um in a mid-market uh, situation where Tampa Bay finds itself, um, I mean, there's a lot of teams that are mid-market teams that have at least one or two other teams that they share the, the fan base with. Um, what's the general approach? Is it coexistence? Is it uh, helping one another? Or is it um, a bit of a competition for, for the fans? How would you describe it? Or does it vary from, from town to town? You know, I think it probably varies from town to town. Um, now, for example, like we we are we share um, city uh, with two other major sports teams. Uh, three, if you want to throw in a USL team, the Tampa Bay Rowdies in there. Um, but the the Rays and MLB and the Buccaneers and the NFL. Um, the, the NFL we overlap with a little bit more. The NFL is obviously also a juggernaut in America in terms of sports uh, consumption. Um, and so, you know, there's definitely competing dollars when it comes there with not, not just with fans, with sponsors, which is a huge revenue point for us. Um, without a doubt, like that definitely comes in. I think it's more healthy competition though. Um, the Rays specifically, we, our seasons almost barely overlap, um, in typical years. Right. Um, this year it obviously did a little bit more. Um, but so, you know, with, with, with both the Bucks and the Rays, though, we have great relationships. Uh, we collaborate often. Uh, we, funny enough, we actually say uh, Team Tampa Bay all the time and collaboration on digital social channels uh, between our groups and supporting each other in different efforts. You know, when we're going deep in the playoffs, we're getting, you know, good luck, congrats, tweets, you know, posts, um, kind of messages from the Bucks and the Rays. We do the same back to them as we should. Um, so, yeah, I think it's more healthy competition than it is true. I mean, I think especially when it comes to the fans, because let's be honest, uh, most of the fans that are in our market, um, we we definitely see, you know, a lot of cross-pollinization of fans that, that root for all three teams. Funny enough, our, our data shows us that actually, you know, Tampa Bay Rays, so on the baseball side, we have the most crossover with that fan base um, than we do than, than maybe the Bucks. So it, it helps us, obviously, that we're not directly competing um, in terms of, now, there's plenty of households, though, where if you're going to have a season ticket or you're going to go to a game, you're only going to choose one or the other. Um, and so that happens. And then, like I already said, on the sponsorship side, because we're a mid-market, we don't, we're not like, the, you know, we just don't have that many companies that, that call Tampa home as like a base and are spending those marketing dollars. So that's where it's probably a little bit more 
um, true competition than it is in, in terms of the fan itself. Um, right. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, that makes sense. Um, and actually, um, shifting gears now away from the from the fans and um, what we've been discussing to the things you've been dealing with over the last few months and going into the uncertainty of the next season, just wanted to get a little bit of um, of your perspective. You know, COVID hit the NHL midseason, worst time to hit because you're, you know, you prepared for one thing and then you have to completely pivot to, to another. The league went into a multi-month shutdown. Um, I believe it was at least two or three months that, yeah. uh, that the league was shut down for. What did you guys do on the marketing team during this time uh, to keep the fans engaged? How did you change your messaging? Like what kinds of things did you come up with um, to, to keep the interest uh, level there? Yeah. So I think uh, early on um, we, we took like about a one two week almost pause because we early on, like we truly thought we might only pause for a week. We might only be, I mean, it was just so many unknowns, not that it's changed all that much now, but um, there was just so many, so many unknowns that I, I, I think the biggest thing we did is we planned for as many contingencies as possible. Um, I mean, the amount of uh, business plans that will never see the light of day <laughs> that we did um, during the, the early months of uh, the pandemic, uh, and the shutdown, um, you know, so to speak, of the league, the pause. Uh, like, I mean, just iteration upon iteration of different, you know, possibilities behind the scenes. I mean, we we put a lot of thought into it. I think where we landed, and we did a lot, uh, was around that be the distant thunder concept. I touched upon earlier. Um, that was where we really leaned in. We did events uh, to the best of our ability. Event is maybe a bad word to use. Uh, but we, you know, in socially distanced manner, we, we brought um, we brought opportunity for people to sign glass throughout the community. We also actually had players sign a, a pane of glass themselves, cut those up, brought them out into businesses, partners of ours throughout the community um, as a way to kind of bring the players out to them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we definitely experimented more than we ever have as a team um, with just different content concepts to see what would stick. Uh, we've done a lot more streaming concepts in the last, you know, four to five months than we ever had before. Streaming practices, things of that nature that we typically wouldn't have done. Um, we did, um, uh, we actually did a show called The Chirp uh, during the final, the Stanley Cup final. Uh, that was uh, two, two talent of ours. Uh, and they were live on Twitter um, pre, pre every game and during first and second intermission are or even overtime intermissions as we got to them. Um, but pregame, we would always bring on a guest. Um, and so we, we had like, we delved into our celebrity fans and, and brought people on like T- Titus O'Neill from the WWE. We actually had Erin Andrews on. She, she started her career um, as a sideline reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, and so, and she's from the area has continued to, to root for us uh, now that her husband is retired because she's, she's married to a hockey player as well. So she had to root for his teams while he was still going, but she said she's, she roots for us now that he's retired. Oh, um, yeah. So we, we did a lot um, to try to connect with people digitally. Honestly, we, we've done a lot of experimentation as well uh, with different um I guess, broadcast type concepts. A lot of it was behind the scenes work because just certain deal with our, our RSN right now, like we, we couldn't do certain things, um, but we're doing a lot of testing behind the scenes because 
frankly, uh, I, I think a lot of the, the digital ways that fans have learned to watch games and some of the, um, I guess, setups uh, across all leagues that fans have come accustomed to watching on TV, I don't think it's going to change even when fans are back in the building. Um, so we need to be set up uh, to, to, I guess, do that in the future as well. Uh, so we did a lot of uh, second screen experience type testing um, mm-hmm. during these playoffs uh, with some focus groups of fans, uh, as well as staff, some uh, different companies, different providers. Um, yeah, a, a lot, um, to be honest. So were there any different, what, what um, digital channels did you, did you test on? Like, I know, you know, Facebook and Instagram must be you know, pretty much the, the home base that you build from, but like um, Snap, TikTok, um, are there any other channels? Like, what were you, what were you looking at testing and yeah, what were, what were the think- results you were seeing? Yeah, I think oh, one of our fastest growing channels, and, and it's not huge yet because we we haven't put a lot of effort into a true, like, I guess, go-to-market, like, strategy for it, um, but it's been YouTube. Uh, it seems kind of uh, lame to say that because YouTube's been around for a long time at this point, uh, but, you know, we're just seeing crazy engagement in our videos on YouTube. I mean, uh, especially long form stuff. So one of the biggest things, uh, we we launched it prior to the season being paused and we were lucky enough to continue it. We have a behind the scenes show called Recharge. Um, A lot of teams across sport now have these like behind the scenes shows. Um, But we continued it obviously while they were in the bubble. Um, We were capturing that content exclusively at that time. even more so than during the normal circumstances of a season with fans in the building Um, and putting that out, like just seeing the growth of that on YouTube um, and the consumption of it is just crazy in comparison to a couple of the other mediums that we have on. I mean, it's the people that are finishing a a 40 minute, um, you know, a 39 minute uh, video uh, all the way through has been wild to see how much that grow helps that we won the cup and there was a compelling story to show and we people know that it's not going to end in heartbreak um, certain episodes <laughs> um, but uh, yeah it, it's been I think YouTube has been one of our, our biggest focuses um, and then you know we we tried a lot of stuff too uh, with our mobile mobile app um, so so we've had a lot of engagement with some free-to-play platforms. Um, uh, we, we utilize a company called Excite uh, to help us with, with some of that uh, free-to-play um, functionality. Uh, we've had great success, probably, you know, 2,000, 2,500. And during the final, we were getting upwards of like four or 5,000 people a game participating kind of uh, free-to-play. Um, just with the for a chance to win like an autograph jersey, it's not even like money or anything on the line. So really exciting to see there. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot. I mean, I, I can't get into some of the companies we tested with and did some betas and whatnot, but, uh, hopefully something we can roll out in this next season on the second screen side too. The, um, but I, I, over the last few years, like I follow Arsenal, I follow in formula one, I follow the Mercedes and the Ferrari teams. Um, so over the last few years, I've seen them, like they've started to generate, an enormous amount of content like every day there's new content there's new videos they've used their you know their players their team members um across everything and i you you know seeing it every day you really feel like you're part of their world um do you i mean for for you guys like how does your social strategy your content strategy sort of you know line up and are you also producing obscene amounts of content for your fans you know locally and around the world yeah i mean we are and we're only going to be producing more of it to be honest um i think that you know 
content in sports and owning that content has become more and more important um, for teams. Uh, you know, digital rights deals, things of that nature that um, are, are massively important. Um, you know, our organization specifically recognized we needed to be doing a better job in that about in terms of content creation, ideation, strategy. Um, and so we did a pretty big audit about a year and a half ago um, and started an audit. And we, and we came to the realization that we needed to do some internal restructuring. Um, and we actually also decided that we really needed to bring someone in who's a leader in the space. Um, so we, we actually went out and uh, she started during the middle of this uh, pandemic. So it's not easy on her, but uh, we brought in a new senior vice president of content. That's her title. Um, yeah. So our marketing group uh, flows into her. Uh, PR, uh, game presentation, video production, um, and as well as a uh, local kind of um, influencer slash, uh, I guess, current events group we have called the Identity um, flows through her as well. Uh, and so that's been huge having her on board. And so we're really delving deep and developing that strategy now. Uh, a lot of what's come in the last six, seven months has been fly by the seat of our pants. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. <laughs> if I'm being honest, like it's been, it's been really, really taxing on everyone. Um, but the reward has been really gratifying when stuff's worked out. Um, we're, we're lucky than a lot luckier than a lot of other teams with the fact that we got to win um, and be a part of that and bring, you know, that behind the scenes coverage, a lot of our ideas um, to life uh, because of that. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're really delving deep into that now and, and really trying to get a, a more robust strategy. I mean, we're, we're constantly doing, uh, we, we call them briefs internally, um, about just different brainstorms, ideas around different, um, uh, content concepts, um, from things all the way from like our, we're doing a massive holiday, uh, retail campaign that bigger than we've ever done in the past. It's usually been kind of a footnote. Because we, we have people in the building and they're just going to buy all of our gear around the holidays and we don't have to try to put that much effort into it. Well, this year we are. Um, and we've, we're working on a massive marketing campaign, putting our whole organization's kind of effort into that, our whole content group's effort into that in a way that we just haven't in the past because we've been so focused on the sport itself. I think we're seeing that there, there's a lot more than just, you know, showing highlights. So. So that, you know, with, with what you're saying, I think you're starting to touch on the lessons from this year that you're looking to implement in the next season. And, um, you know, if, if you were to look back maybe in 2022 on, on the season that's about to hopefully start, what maybe two or three outcomes you would be thrilled with uh, in terms of like your strategy kind of accomplishing? Yeah, so I think a more... I, well, I guess the first thing may, may seem a little uh, surprising, but the first thing I think is that we, and we started to do this and we need to continue to do it. We need to take better insights from what we've done in the past. It's been something that I think it's pretty prevalent across the entire sports world that you do one thing and you move on to the next because it's so breakneck speed. You know, you're covering games, you're, you're, you know, following what, who was the latest player we traded for? Um, you know, we're going into the playoffs now. We're focusing on that. We do a really poor job about looking backwards and seeing what was effective and what was what wasn't. Um, and so, I think for uh, us, we've been doing a really good deep dive into what we've done in the in the in the playoffs. I want to see that this next year too, because we're going to try a lot of stuff, and not all of it's going to work. Um, and looking back at the end of next year, I want to know what were the most successful things and the most successful platforms um, and what worked. 
Um, and that way we can put more of our efforts into things that are proving to be successful, that are being followed, that are being liked, that are being watched versus things that aren't. Um, so that, that's one. Um, I think uh, two is some uh, more robust channel planning and just some, some platforms that frankly we haven't put that effort to. Uh, usually in the past, uh, I touched upon YouTube as kind of being, I think, one right. of them. Uh, TikTok, I think, is another for us. Uh, we've done stuff on TikTok, but it's you know kind of just been like, hey, let's throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. I think we need to come up with a, a much better, you know, channel channel planning strategy uh, moving forward. Um, so, so that would be huge. And I think the third would be really making inroads on second screen experience. So I alluded to it that we've um, been experimenting a lot. Um, we've been having a lot of good calls with colleagues ac across um, not just our league but other leagues and stuff they're doing, uh, stuff they're testing with. Uh, we'd really love to, you know expand upon efforts like the chirp or, you know, the different internal tests that we did during these last, uh, you know, bubble playoffs and, and really have a, a robust offering for our fan base there. Um, Cause I think there's a lot of really cool things uh, you can do that are intrusive that can only bring more to the table in terms of the viewing experience um, for fans. Um, it doesn't have to be just like, you know, you're watching the game. Um, you know, there can be interactivity showing stats the NHL is doing a lot with player and puck tracking. So having uh, information about, you know, uh, speed of play, uh, you know, various uh, passes. There's a lot of really cool things that in the end is going to delve into sports betting and, and things of that nature. There's no doubt in my mind about it. But before we even get to that point, it can be a really cool and different viewing experience for those fans that want to take part in it. And so I think we just need to do a better job of developing the viewing experience for different subsets of fans versus just assuming that every fan wants to watch the game the same way it's always been watched. Well, that's that there's going to be a lot of testing, a lot of experimentation. I'm sure that for every team, for every league uh, next year is going to um, have lessons that'll carry over for many, many years to come. Um, I think not, crises, they push innovation. And what we're hearing from you is that you guys have been innovating faster than ever using insights to drive your decision-making process and being more willing to take risks. I have some um, experience with you guys having worked together in the past a little bit. And I know that you are a very progressive, forward-looking sports organization. Um, I guess, let me make a plug for for the Tampa Bay Lightning and for the city of Tampa. Um, it's a fun experience to go to Tampa and see a game of hockey in your arena. It's uh, situated uh, right smack dab in the middle of the city, uh, near the waterfront. Um, I was lucky to be there during the All-Star game uh, when you guys also had Gasparilla going on, which is a crazy experience. So yeah. once the pandemic is over, once we're allowed to go and see things for ourselves, I would highly encourage anyone looking to have a little bit of a getaway in the winter to come to warm Tampa Bay, go see a lightning game. Uh, I think it's one of the top tier uh, sporting experiences to see in the US. So um, Pat, good luck in the upcoming season. Thanks for spending this time with us and for sharing uh, all of these uh, insights that frankly very few people have access to because um, sports marketing is just a very, very different world than most people experience. So really thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.